the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you as always. It is uh, very interesting times, very, very interesting times. Uh, hard to even describe how um, how crazy some things are that we see uh, and are happening. We'll talk about them in a moment. And in, actually, in the last segment of the program also, I'll circle back around uh, first in the wink, just to preview it. Today's wink, uh, I will mention, I, I will go into a discussion of the breaking news. I'm very happy it's publicly breaking. Um, only and exclusively, it looks like, on the center-right websites and center-right coverage. <clears throat> but the news is that the January 6th Select Committee, headed by Democrat Benny Thompson and a re- so-called Republican Liz Cheney, has destroyed documents, destroyed the evidence, um, has told us that they were getting to the bottom of things, and then when they were done getting to the bottom of what they thought was important, they destroyed the documents. I mean, it's a breathtaking betrayal that is happening right before our eyes, and we'll talk about it more. And then we'll also have a chance to talk about... Um, the uh, uh, FBI agent, the FBI agent who pled guilty is pleading guilty to collusion with Russia. And that sounds terrible, right? Doesn't it? I mean, he must have been like one of uh, Donald Trump's appointees or something. Right. And, uh, you know, something like that. No, it turns out that um, it is a retired FBI agent who um, he's pleading guilty to um, helping to try to do the uh uh, Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. I mean, he did it. He was involved in it. And now he is pleading guilty to working with the Russians. So uh, we'll talk about that. I mean, you talk about, again, whatever they're accusing, uh, whatever the left is accusing uh, Americans of doing, it's what they're doing, it turns out. So it's a uh, while. But hey, today we've got a couple of interesting guests. We will talk with uh, uh, Karen Strawn. We had her on the show about a year and a half ago. She's one of what's called a men's advocate, someone who is an anti-feminist. And she's very interesting, very um, uh, uh, challenging um uh, challenging uh, personality, meaning she gets right up into people's grill and says, hey, wait a second, your assumptions, your feminist assumptions are off. And she's very effective. So she'll, she's fun to talk to. We'll talk with her. And we'll also speak with a, a um, gentleman, Robert Bortons, who is runs a company that does homeschooling about where that's going, how it's happening, what the deal is. Uh, and especially how much it's grown after COVID. I think you'll be interested in the numbers. So we'll get to all that. Now, first of all, what you need to know, please go to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for the daily email, the wink. Uh, it comes in your inbox Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. East Coast, 5 a.m. Pacific. It gives you everything you need to know. What you need to know is in there. couple of links, couple of comments. Uh, very helpful. Today's uh, is Distrust and Verify. Uh, the, uh, well, the last wink you would have gotten in your inbox. So a while ago now today uh, is distrust and verify from a segment I did yesterday. So, but all right, let's get to it. What you need to know today, what you need to know today is the news has broken over the last couple of days. I've known this for a month and a half. Congressman Barry Loudermilk of Georgia is a guy Republican. He served, I think, for about 10 years now. 
He's well known for being a nice guy. He's conservative. He's from a more rural district and he's a pretty conservative guy, but everybody likes him. He's got a lovely wife. Um, he's kind of well known among his colleagues for giving a tour of the Capitol, which weaves in history as well as, uh, the religious aspects of the Capitol. Uh, there's actually a stairwell in the Capitol. I've taken this tour where, uh, I think it was during the war of 1812, some soldiers hid and into the marble, they feared for their life. They carved a cross and he shows you all that on this tour. He's an affable guy. He's a friendly guy. And now in the Republican house, he's the chairman of the subcommittee on January 6th of the house administration committee. And the reason he was picked to do that was because the select committee headed by Congressman Benny Thompson, as well as Congresswoman Liz Cheney. Um, it was supposedly bipartisan. The only Democrat Republicans on it were people that hated Trump. And so they rubber stamped everything. But this select committee spent 18 months, spent 19 million dollars, hauled before them hundreds and hundreds. I think it's over a thousand uh, depositions mostly of Republicans and regular citizens. And every time you get hauled before the Select Committee of Congress, you get yourself a lawyer, you get careful because you're worried about a perjury trap, you're worried about being held in contempt, and so you spend 10000 20000 I know of one guy who spent $45,000 because he was being hauled before one of these committees, he was worried about it. But whatever it is, you're, 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 you're tortured. It was a torturous process. And the select committee of January 6th, the Pelosi select committee, told us they were getting to the bottom of what happened on January 6th. And they held 10 or 11, I can't remember the right number, uh, made-for-TV hearings where they used edited video. And the edited video of, of depositions, the video was very, very much a part of what they were doing. They had an ABC producer who retired from producing TV come on board to basically manage their uh, show. And so a lot of their show was the use of video. And a lot of the use of video was depositions that they had done. I mentioned hundreds and hundreds, over a thousand people hauled before them. Well, comes now as the new Congress is in. And the the that was let me finish the select committee, the Pelosi select committee rushed to finish in December of 2022, because they were going out of power. And they therefore, they put out a 800-page report, uh, just a little footnote. The 800-page report mentioned the pipe bomber, which the pipe bomber, uh, um, the pipe bomber planted two bombs that should have, if they went off, taken out the Democrat uh, National Committee headquarters and the, um, the club right next door to the Republican National Committee. And so they mentioned that pipe bomber five times they got nothing they got to the bottom of nothing with that they, i would have thought that was a major factor since that became a huge factor on january 6 but no but here's my point when they rushed to finish their so-called report in december they also rushed to do what destroy the documents and congressman barry loudermilk has now confirmed and he sent letters and had to ask and all that the documents from this great exhaustive review of January 6th, have been destroyed. Some weren't destroyed. You can imagine the ones that weren't destroyed are the ones that were friendly to what the viewpoint they had, which is that a riot where some people got out of control is somehow an insurrection. That's what they want you to believe. 
And that's what the narrative machine is pushing on us. And so Barry Loudermilk has now made the congressman from Georgia has now made the rounds, at least on Fox and, and a few of the other conservative sites and conservative outlets, but not on the mainstream media. And what he's saying is after all this time, $19 million and time, the Pelosi Select Committee destroyed documents to destroy the evidence. They destroyed what they found. And here's the kicker in these made for TV sessions that they hosted always in prime time always with drama which they in which they dominated the dominant use was video of depositions they decided to delete all the deposition video so if you saw cassidy hutchison a 23 year old young woman saying blah 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 in excerpted uh video which was cut and pasted from her deposition testimony you can't look at the entire deposition they deleted it can you imagine can you imagine what would have happened if there was a major investigation of a topic in the Trump administration and the Trump administration, as they went out the door, they deleted the video, they deleted the documents, they hid the ball. And so here's what we know now. Here's what you need to know. The the select committee on January 6th of Nancy Pelosi, headed by Liz Cheney, headed by Benny Thompson, it is as bad as we thought. They are as dishonorable as we thought. They are corrupt. Corrupt. Meaning, you don't have to take money to do something and be called corrupt. You know, you don't have to be Joe Biden and, and have your family take tens of millions of dollars and then act differently towards Ukraine. That's corruption. But it's not, you don't have to have quid pro quo to just simply be corrupt, to take the role of government and the role of a fact finding effort. And to use it the way they did is corrupt. And here's the wildest part. If you're one of the January 6th defendants, if you're Donald Trump now, if you're one of the six co-conspirators, especially the six co-conspirators and Trump, your case is all about stuff that happened in and around January 6th. You should be able to call upon the Congress to, to give over the evidence that they found so that you can use it in your defense. It's gone. It's deleted. It disappeared. It, we, we have... Maybe, maybe it's been this corrupt in the past. Maybe, but we've never seen it. We are seeing, as they say, underneath the hood. The hood's up, and we're seeing the engine, and we're seeing how this thing works, and it is corruption like we... I, I can't believe it. And now, the final detail of what you need to know, where's the media outcry? Where's the journalists saying, oh, my gosh, how could they do this? Where's the good government folks on the left saying, you know what? We, we can't stand uh, government being a bully no matter who's in charge. They're not even saying that. They're not even saying that because they're corrupt. That's the only thing you can, you, you can conclude. And that's what you need to know. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be back a lot more. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, our next guest is Robert Bortons. He's the chief executive officer of Classical Conversations and is focused on, as you can hear from the word uh, Classical Conversations, uh, uh, homeschooling and uh, tradition and virtue and education. So welcome, uh, Robert. How are you, sir? I'm doing well today. Excited to be on the show. So uh, tell me, you know, you, you're this organist, this company, which you're the CEO of family owned company, it's grown in leaps and bounds even before COVID. Um, so tell me 
Well, tell me the trajectory of homeschooling and the way you see it. And tell me if the excitement over more options in the last three years since COVID has um, played out the way you expected. Yeah, classical conversation started in our family's basement in 1997 with myself and 10 other students. And now we service about 130,000 students around the world and uh, thousands in Missouri. And, uh, you know, we are so excited and blessed to see parents uh, taking education back into the realm of the family and knowing that uh, they're ultimately responsible for their child's education not the public school, not the government, not uh, private schools, uh, but ultimately it rests on their shoulders. And um, COVID has really opened the eyes of families uh, around the U.S. to what their students weren't learning yeah. and uh, what indoctrination was happening. And, um, you know, legislators have been trying to figure out ways to encourage families to get out of the government schools and for uh, additional options and families have uh, really taken advantage of that. We had about 2 million homeschoolers or so in the United States uh, before COVID. Uh, Obviously, when everyone's forced to homeschool, that number jumped considerably and Mm -hmm. we didn't know what was going to happen afterwards. But as the schools opened up, uh, a significant number of people continued to homeschool. And so uh, there's estimated between three and four million homeschoolers now in the United States. And parents are learning that, uh, Educating their children doesn't have to be difficult and that uh, it brings them closer as a family. And so I think uh, parents, uh, when they see statistics like uh, 30 Chicago schools, they have exactly zero students in them that can read at a grade level. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's more likely for you to be sexually harassed or bullied at school than learn to read. Uh, that, That gives them real concerns and they look for other opportunities and Homeschooling and especially classical education is uh, one that's very attractive to intentional parents. Uh, classical Conversations, we're, we're talking with the CEO, Robert Borton's Classical Conversations, uh, Christian homeschool program. It's been around, as he mentioned, uh, not since COVID, but since the last millennium uh, in the late 90s. Uh, Christ-centered and family-friendly approach to homeschooling. Uh, I'll put up on social media, uh, classicalconversations.com. You can see links there. I love the first headline on there. You're you're their first teacher, be their best teacher, uh, aiming at, right at, at parents. Um, you guys were one of the sponsors recently at this conference and uh and even the title of the conference i want to find it so that i can say it exactly right the uh was uh wake up to woke education and this was down in lakeland florida first of all are you guys based in florida i don't think i knew are you based in florida our headquarters are in north carolina but florida is our second biggest state so we have over ten thousand students in the state of florida that uh utilize our program for their uh, homeschooling education Okay, so this conference, Wake Up to Woke Education, did you, I, I want to ask it in a different way, didn't you think that COVID would make it totally clear to people what education's problems were? And, and when I say that, you can hear what I'm about to say is a whole bunch of people that I, I met, they're like, oh yeah, now I see what my kids are learning. I, it's got to be better than this. I, I I live in a great county. I pay a lot of taxes. It's not good enough. It's, it's to this, it's to that. And yet a lot, a lot of people went back into those systems. I mean, it's surprising to me. It's kind of one of these moments where I don't know, maybe I don't blame them. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to blame. I'm saying people are too busy there. It's too much cost. I don't know, but I'm surprised that it didn't break even bigger away from the public schools. 
Yeah, public schools are so ingrained into our culture, into our mindsets. Uh, the Bible calls it uh, as dogs return to their vomit. Uh, you know what you know, and you're used to it, and it's hard to break out of that paradigm. And, you know, homeschooling and private schooling has definitely increased significantly. Uh, but a lot of parents just feel stuck and don't know what to do. And so you have to cast a vision for them that, uh, no, you're not stuck. You need to take control. Yes, it's going to be work. No, you can't outsource your child's education. It's expensive. It's ineffective. And uh, they take your children from you by uh, brainwashing them. Uh, so you've got to stand up and put in the hard work. Uh, you can't just outsource uh, parenting to some third party and expect it to go well. Um, so parents are working on breaking out of this paradigm, and uh, I'm encouraged by the number who are. And even those who might still be in government school, I think so many of them are trying to supplement that education in a different way. So I say everyone homeschools. It's just a matter how intentional you are <laughs> yeah, and that's, um, that's right, you know, right. whether you're telling your kid that education doesn't matter because you're not engaged in their life or uh, you're saying, hey, you know, maybe we're in a school system that's not the best, but hey, we're going to do extra at home or we're going to make sure that we're staying on track even if your uh, friends aren't. So it's ultimately up to the parents to take that responsibility no matter what type of institution that their child is in. Uh, we're talking again with Robert Bortons, uh, CEO of Classical Conversations, uh, a homeschooling uh, organization. If you go to uh, classicalconversations.com, you'll see the programs they have there, the curriculum they have there. They they can uh, uh, they understand that there's a lot of different, a lot of a range of, of of parents and situations. That's a better way to say it, and how their home is. All right, back for a second to this conference, Wake Up to Woke Education Conference. Seems like a no brainer, but, but 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 let me just push back a little. Did the people that come to that already have the mindset that they knew something was wrong and they were already fixing it or, or or are you finding people that are saying you know that are sort of feeling hey there's something wrong i i need to find this like i i had someone say to me that was on the listening uh, on the program and then listening saying you know um the problem she's feeling right now is that we're talking to each other and that is important and it's important to get our tools together to you know to to get strong together and get all the tools so if you're saying to yourself i want to be a homeschooler then i want to find robert borden's because i want to get the ammunition the training and all but she also was saying then hey sometimes we're just talking to our, you know, sort of um, silo. And sure. she said, I don't know how to get into the other silo. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, certain conferences have uh, different focuses. And uh, right. this one's definitely on empowering and encouraging those who are aware of the situation. And then we've got to go out and tell the masses uh, that uh, there are alternatives because, I mean, I still talk to people who don't even know that you don't have to send your kids to public school, that there are other ways out there. And so right. it's uh, it's people who know uh, talking to their neighbors and being uh, you know passionate about it and being encouraging and telling them that there is a better way and that we'll help you do that. And that's one of the focuses we have at Classical Conversations is that parent focus. And we actually offer uh, – they're wrapped up for this summer, but during the summer we offer free parent practicums where it's a one-day – education boot camp you don't have to be in our programs you can send your kids to public school and attend but it's all about empowering parents and uh, getting the word out there so i think you know shows like this uh that are just making people aware that there are other options out there is a big step and um you know we're, we are making headway but it's uh you know it's a generational uh battle right. it's going to take uh decades to get this fixed um, because it didn't happen overnight and it's not going to get fixed overnight, but we're finally headed back in the right direction. 
Well, Robert, I, I I just have about a minute left. It's so unfair to do this, but I do want to address it. You get some of the conservatives that say, oh, no, no, I'm getting nervous about how government is sort of sponsoring homeschooling or or, you know, options. And they sort of pushing back. Uh, and I, that's fine. Right. I, I don't want to trust government either. So I'm I'm fine with that. But I think there's strategies around it. Right. There's protections around it that you've got to be willing to figure out. Right. Well, I think, um, you know, we lie in the camp that whatever the government funds is public education and that, uh, right. you know, if uh, the money is taken from your neighbors to educate your student, uh, if you think taxation is theft, that paying for education through theft is not going to produce good results. So, right. I mean, I think there are things that can be done around it. And I understand that if you're a politician and you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail and Right. Um, but I'd love to see legislation that lets people keep their own money, not take money from their neighbor. Mm, good idea. Good idea. Well, listen, Robert, we'll have you back again. I, I started a conversation with you. This is great. And uh, I'm encouraged and uh, especially uh, encouraged by what you told about the numbers and, and, and your approach. Um, so we will have you back again. Thank you for the time, Robert. Yeah, thank you so much, Ed. All right. God bless Robert Bortons. And I'll put up on uh, social media a link to, uh, again, his websites. And uh, the, the main website is classicalconversations.com, where you can find out more about that homeschooling curriculum and all the tools that they have. We got to take a break, though. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, it's been too long. I'm going to find I looked it up. It's been over a year uh, since our next guest was with us. She is uh, active in social media, in writing, communicating broadly. She's founded organizations uh, and otherwise brought her, her voice. I think she'd say this out to the men's rights movement or to the men's uh, empowerment to try to fight back on the feminists. And I, of course, I have a sweet spot, a soft spot for that because of the work of the late Phyllis Schlafly. And so uh, uh, grateful that she took the time to join us today. We're going to talk with Karen Strawn. Uh, she's uh, about based up in Canada. And of course, she's very famous uh, for her YouTube channel, uh, Girl Writes What. And so welcome, Karen. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And uh, thank you for the lovely intro. I appreciate uh, yeah. it. Well, you're, you're, we had a nice, I always tell my listeners off air as you and I were talking and laughing and all. It's a, probably even more interesting than the, the show, but we, I never record it. But um, so, Karen, <laughs> let, let me ask you this question. It's a, we, a year. It's been a year and about four months. I looked it up since you were on my program. It feels to me like the feminists and the crazies have accelerated their efforts and also people have started to wake up and say okay too far am i I, is that right you're you're not imagining things um you know like i've spent since about 2010 i've spent uh a lot of time and effort trying to actually uh expose uh feminism Mm -hmm. uh both second wave and third wave and now we're in the fourth wave i guess and also including the suffragette movement for certain things that they just have gotten consistently wrong based on their sort of predetermined biases, you know, that it's an ideology, right? It's an ideology. It's an idea of it's a descriptive and prescriptive ideology, right? So they're making a diagnosis and then they're proposing a treatment. And they not only have the treatment wrong, the treatment is is very, very bad, contraindicated, right. as the medical community would say, 
but the diagnosis, it's because they got the diagnosis wrong, right? They, they are not accurately describing society, whether that's society now or 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 400 years ago. They have not, they do not have an accurate picture of how things worked and so, and how things worked and why. And so all of their cures actually just make the problem worse. And uh, it's only been in the last, probably since maybe 2017, 2015 to 2017, that there has been enough of a push in the direction of true, absolute insanity, not mm-hmm. just the the stuff that you can yes, dear away, right? But but you know, like actual insanity that people have been starting to push back. And you, you we see this in um, the UK. They closed down the Tavistock Gender Clinic <clears throat> because, and uh, Scandinavia has pulled back on their sort of uh, lackadaisical attitude towards transitioning people who say they're, they believe they're the other sex or the other gender, right? They're pulling back all, on all of that. But Canada and the US at this point uh, we did not uh, achieve that level of insanity um, yet at the same time as Scandinavia and the UK did. And so the pushback is just starting now. So, um, so Karen, uh, we're talking with Karen Strawn again, and I, she um, writes and communicates on this as I, it's always a funny one to say anti-feminism. It works because it's uh, it makes clear where you where we are. But I, th- I would say it's more about, uh, you know, pro family, pro uh, the, the, the roles we're supposed to have and all. But I, I want to pause on something you just said, because I, I, I did an interview. I did an interview not on my program with an Australian uh, news outlet. I think it was yesterday. And I actually and I said this. And afterwards, I thought I better I better articulate that better because I'm 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 something of an amateur in my comments. But I said they were talking about um, a limit in in the UK uh, of seven years. You have to be seven years or older to say to your national health uh, system that you want to gender transition. So you know, six and younger, you're not you're not certifiable to make that decision. But at seven, you can make that decision. And I said this, it, and you just referred this in a way that made me think of it. I said. If someone comes in and says, this is my eight-year-old, I want him or her to decide whether they want a gender transition. To me, that's a sign that the person, the parent bringing him in, mom or dad, has a mental illness. Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not, a, again, we're not, I'm not a doctor to diagnose it. I'm just saying you, we shouldn't start from, oh, let's talk to the kid and see what they mean. We should say, hold on, let's take a kid out of the room and talk to the mom or the dad, right? Um, well, I think I think we need, both need to be talked to separately. Right. Okay. Um, but I I think that you know transition. It's one thing to send you know if your nine year old decides that they you know nine year old son decides he wants to wear a dress and he wants to be called Judy. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's one thing to say okay you know um, we'll indulge that right just like. When my kids were, you know, young, they sometimes wanted to pretend to be different things and you play along and and whatever, right? The the problem with this whole idea of uh, kids as young as toddlers, right, being able to identify with a gender, um, that, that completely flies in the face of everything we know about early childhood development, right? 
Right. Uh, kid, kids know the difference at uh, starting around three months of age. They know the difference. They can differentiate a man from a, a woman based on their faces, but they don't know what they are. And they develop an idea of what they are, that they're a boy or they're a girl, that they like dogs, that they like cats, that they, uh, you know, like riding in the car. You know, they they acquire all of those uh, aspects of their uh, self-identity, not just self-awareness, which is I am, but self-identity, which is I am this collection of things. They develop all of that over the course of the next five years after toddlerhood. So, you know, by age eight, they might have some kind of idea of who they are as a person and where they fit in with the world. We're asking these kids to completely untether themselves from any kind of concept of reality, any kind of concept of limitations. The sky is the limit. You can be a a girl. You can be a boy. You can be neither. You can be both. You can be both at the same time or both at different times. You can be a, a, a winged dragon if you really wanted to be or. Or you could be, you know, we're getting into like transracial stuff now. Like, mm-hmm. ooh, you could actually identify as a, a black child, even though you're white or a Korean, even though you're black. Um, you know, like all of these things, right, when they're actually forming a, a concept, a solid concept of them, who they themselves are and how they fit into reality. Yeah, no, this this is when kids are the most impressionable. They should not be being introduced to these concepts, at least until grade three. The concept of uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, you know, uh, can boys wear dresses? Yes, they can. And they can still be boys, even if they're wearing dresses. Can girls play with Legos and enjoy uh, matchbox cars? Right. And climb yep, trees right. and still be girls. Yes, they can. Um, right? That's so, what we should be. Teaching. Yeah. Karen, real quick. Unfortunately, I'm going to run out of time. I've got about a minute left, but I want to ask to finish on an up note. I mentioned earlier, it feels like uh, the, the, the crazies are on the march, but so is the opposition. It feels like more, I, I hate to say it, uh, more normal people. And I, I mean that as a compliment. You're special. You've been doing this for a long time saying, I see something. I want to step up and talk about it, but more regular people say it that way Ordin- are stepping ordinary, for- ordinary yeah. are stepping forward and yes. less than a minute. T- tell me how you see that happening. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, it's already happening. School board meetings, you know, the big kerfuffle down in the States with that. I mean, we've had protests here in Canada regarding certain things. Certain laws have been repealed in particular provinces like my own. Um, So we are seeing the pushback and we are starting to see some results from that. But it really is going to take a concerted effort to even sort of push this back about 20 percent of how too far it's gone. Mm. And uh, I'm just waiting for the um, the barrage of lawsuits from kids who are allowed to make these decisions and regret it. Yeah, that's probably what's going to turn this around. Yeah. All right. Karen Strong, thank you very much uh, for all that you do and for being on. We'll have you on sooner than uh, last time. We appreciate it. We're out of time in this segment, everybody. We got to run. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative perspective since 1983, continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. The people who support free trade are forever invoking the name of Ronald Reagan and claiming he was a free trader. 
but the men who worked with him on trade issues say that is not true. For example, Ambassador Robert Lighthizer, who served as Reagan's deputy U.S. trade representative, said flatly that Reagan was not a free trader. Another Reagan appointee in his Commerce Department, Gil Kaplan, said that Reagan and his Commerce Secretary, Malcolm Baldridge, cared a great deal about protecting and building up U.S. manufacturing and taking steps necessary to make sure that trade did not hurt the U.S. jobs base. These Reagan appointees said that Reagan took key trade actions to protect U.S. manufacturing and jobs, and they are betting that Reagan would do the same today to combat China's currency manipulation, illegal subsidies, and other unfair trade practices. These Reagan appointees believe that conservative principles are consistent with tough trade action about China. Congressman Dana Rohrbacher, who was a speechwriter for Ronald Reagan, says that our open market policies with China, while the Communist Party manipulates the rules of the game, have facilitated a transfer of wealth from the United States to China and allowed China to grow from an insignificant country on the world stage to a factor that could one day bring us down. The respected economist Robert Samuelson says that our current trade with China methodically transfers American jobs, technology, and financial power to China, and we don't get much for it. He points out that China pursues a new global order in which its needs come first. It subsidizes exports, controls essential imports, and compels the transfer of our advanced technology. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. When it comes to international trade, other countries have long been taking advantage of the American people and our generous spirit. At phyllisschlafly.com, we've got strategies to balance trade and protect the interests of American companies, resources, and citizens. For more, go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I mentioned earlier in our program that I would get to this uh, story. Um, so we have a, an FBI agent. Uh, his name is Charles McGonagall. And um, he has uh, previously, he was charged, uh, criminal charges of evading U.S. sanctions and money laundering. That's what his charges were. He previously pleaded guilty, but he's now changed his plea and he is pleading. Excuse me. He previously pleaded not guilty and he has uh, now changed his plea and he is pleading guilty. OK, so you say, OK, Ed, well, that's um, that's interesting. What's the story? Here's the thing. McGonagall, he previous before this, before he left. So he's pleading guilty to a crime that he committed after he left the FBI, to be clear. So his is not formal corruption where he was on the payroll of the government when he committed these crimes. No, no, no. He left. And so he left. And then a guy who was an expert, he was an expert. He was the head of the FBI's counterintelligence counterintelligence division in New York City. Now, you have to know that New York City, first of all, is like a country unto itself when it comes to the size and scope of law enforcement, right? The NYPD is one of the biggest forces in the world. Other countries don't have forces as big law enforcement as what NYPD uh, NYPD is. 
And when it comes to the FBI, because of all the things that are happening in New York from uh, commercial uh, and uh, and institutional transactions, as well as crime, everything else is coming through. New York is the center of the world. Eh, maybe D.C. is. But in terms of uh, maybe action, uh, New York is. So he this guy is not a small time guy. He was the head of the counterintelligence division in New York of the FBI. And he retired in 2018. So then after he got out in 2018, he took secret payments from one of the Russian oligarchs to try to investigate another. So now he goes out of office in 18, sets up a security consulting firm, basically a private eye, except they use bigger terms now. And he goes out and he gets a Russian who pays him lots of money. The point is, this guy knew exactly what he was doing. He knew the laws he was skirting. But here's the detail. Here's the reality. Think about how insane this is. This guy, McGonagall, was involved. He was at the top levels of the of the government in 2018 and for the years before and knew exactly what the Russia. We have a, an FBI agent who was involved in the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax at the highest level of the FBI. He's involved and in part of all this. The Russia, Russia, Russia hoax is ongoing. There's all kinds of investigations. He's counterintelligence, so he's knee deep in it. And then he goes out and he's pleading guilty to what? Guilty to what? Collusion with the Russians. You can't make this stuff up. You cannot make this stuff up. The fact that the um, the reality of the what they've accused others of, Donald Trump, uh, Donald Trump Jr., the campaigns in 16, is what the FBI agents at the highest level are going out and doing. It reminds me, by the way, of when you saw the 50 plus uh, senior uh, 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 intelligence officials who assigned that letter about the Biden uh, laptop. You say, why would they do that? It was clearly, you know, group think they were either not paying attention or they were going along because they knew the powerful wanted it. And the reason why is they all make money for it. Do you think that Brennan and Clapper, who are among those 50, get paid lots of money to be on CNN and NBC? I think Brennan's on NBC, Clapper's on CNN. And, and do you think they get paid a lot of money to say nothing? Of course not. They get paid to make news, to break news, to be influential. And how do you think they get to be influential? Their former sources and the, their former colleagues are now sources. The point here is the system is so corrupt that the overlap between people who are doing whatever they want and then holding us accountable, it's almost like a. there's not even a Venn diagram needed. It's a full overlap. Whatever they're accusing you of doing as a citizen or Trump of doing as a Trump guy or Trump campaign or whatever, that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. Think about the insanity of what Jack Smith is doing. I think it was Alan Dershowitz who went on TV and Alan Dershowitz said, you know, that um, uh, uh, Jack Smith is accusing Donald Trump of misleading the people because he knew something and he was he knew something was true and he didn't say all of it. Right. That's what he's saying. He's saying he knew Jack Smith is saying Donald Trump knew the election was perfect. And he went out and he told people it wasn't perfect to try to get them to do something. That's what they're basically saying. Except, you know what? Dershowitz said the other day. Dershowitz said, when you read the whole indictment, Jack Smith, the prosecutor, puts in the record of the indictment, the speech that Trump gave on January 6th, except he leaves out the part where Trump says, make sure you're peaceful and patriotic. In other words, Jack Smith leaves out the part that makes clear that Trump wasn't doing what Jack Smith wants to believe he did or wants you to believe he did. In other words, Jack Smith is deceiving the public to promote something to be done. 
I mean, he should be run out of the law at the bar. He should be he should be disbarred for that. And instead, he's being lauded as the guy that's saving the world, saving America from his uh, from from his these uh, this you know great great misconduct, this great you know whatever however you describe it. It's amazing to see. It's tragic to understand, but it just makes you shake your head. You just shake your head and say, I can't believe they're doing it like this. And I can't believe the chutzpah they have, except at this point, there's no doubting the chutzpah. I mean, there's no there's nothing about this that is now surprising as long as you start to see it and recognize it and name it. And again, I'll just finish with this and we'll we'll move on. You know, the biggest problem with all of it is not that it's happening. It's that if you go look, you you can read the Reuters article. I was reading the Reuters article on this, and they will not. They they say only that an FBI agent uh, pled guilty um, to uh, working with the Russians, colluding with the Russians. They don't make clear his previous role in the timing. They don't draw the conclusion. It should be news. They don't bother. All right, we got to run. We got to run. Thank you as always to Noah Dingley, our producer. Thank you especially to Ryan Hyde, our associate producer, who we've had. I've been on the road a bit, and he's done a great job keeping the logistics. And also Mason Mohan out in St. Louis, associate producer. We will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro America Report on the Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.